question. What if you turned on the radio and found out one of the biggest pop stars in the world sang a song that you wrote? And then you thought about it and you were like, I never signed off on this and I certainly didn't get paid. You are now listening to the Music Business Streams podcast brought to you by KDMR Music. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Music Business Dreams podcast. I'm your host, Brandon, from KDMR Music, and this is episode 30. Um, I'm really excited. As I record this intro, um, today is January 22nd, and it is my birthday. I am 28 years old today, and I'm excited about it. I'm happy to be on the planet another year. Uh, I'm excited about the things that we're going to accomplish this year. Um, The music industry is in a state, it's primed for growth right now. And it's my personal mission to make sure that all of you grow with the industry. I don't want to see any independent artists left behind. And so that's why we're fighting so hard to educate you week in and week out on this podcast, as well as on our YouTube channel. Now, today's conversation um, actually ran a little bit long, so I'm going to try to make these announcements really quick. Um, Last week, I had the pleasure of being on a podcast. Um, If you guys remember from episode seven, I believe it was, Lennon Seahack. Actually, it was episode 10. But um, Lennon is a music uh, publicist and a writer, and he has his own podcast called When Life Hands You Lennons. And so I was a guest on that podcast last week, talking about how I got started in the industry, um, and of course, giving all my best advice for music marketing. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, just in case you're not on our email list and you didn't get the notification, I will leave that link in the show notes. Um, for those of you who have not purchased the Music Marketing Guidebook yet, there's actually a discount code if you listen to that full episode. So there's a little uh, incentive for you to go listen to that. Now, um, I did just mention our YouTube channel. One thing I was super excited about, I woke up this morning to find out that we crossed 700 subscribers on YouTube on my birthday today. Uh, so the channel is growing. Um, if you didn't know, we post videos twice a week, uh, again, just to help you learn everything there is to know about the music industry. So there are about 50 to 60 videos on the channel right now. So if you have not uh, checked us out, youtube.com slash music, and you can get caught up with all the things that you've missed over the last couple of years. Um, so without further ado, I do want to go ahead and get into, um, my conversation with today's guest. Tammy Luttrell has had an amazing career. Um, but what's really stuck out to me about her story is just how much she has persevered, how much she's gone through. And at such an early age, um, she went through things that a lot of artists would just be like, all right, maybe the music industry isn't for me. Um, But she got through them. And 20 years later, she is still standing tall. She is a powerhouse. um, And I'm going to let her tell her own story. But it's an amazing listen. So all of you guys who are aspiring songwriters, singers, um, you know, you have dreams of writing for other people, uh, maybe bigger stars than yourself. This is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tammy Luttrell. 
All right, guys. Well, our next guest on the Music Business Dreams podcast is Tammy Luttrell. Now, Tammy is a multi-platinum Grammy-nominated songwriter. She's written for artists including Whitney Houston, Monica, Keisha Cole, SWV, and the list goes on. Now, outside of songwriting, she also facilitates music publishing and copyright workshops, uh, both online and at different universities. And she's also a YouTube partner with over 650,000 views on her channel. Um, And she's got so many other accolades and titles, but I'll let her get into it. Um, Well, welcome to the Music Business Dreams podcast, Miss Tammy Luttrell. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me so much. I'm excited to be on your show. Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, so I like to get um, started with our guests just by asking them to introduce themselves and you know give us a little bit of your background. Uh, well, I'm Tammy Luttrell. Um, my background mainly, um, as you said, is in you know songwriting. Um, I started songwriting at about 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, I started off as an artist and um, I did not know that the world of songwriting would be my calling, but um, unbeknownst to me, um, when I was just being an artist, um, I was working as an indie artist, and I was on college campus um, at T- Texas Southern University attaining my, de- my degree, and um, I had parted ways with an indie artist, and um, I mean, I-, I parted ways with an indie label, pardon me, and um, and I ended up finding out that they took one of the songs that I had written while I was in business with them and they sold the song to Whitney Houston without my knowledge. Oh, wow. And so I am in my college dorm. My mom calls me um, and she's like, hey, you know, what are you doing right now? Turn on the radio. Whitney Houston is singing one of your songs. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? So, of course, I didn't believe her, but my mom is my number one fan. So, you know, I definitely ran to the radio with no hesitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I found out it was true, oh, my God, it just completely floored me. I didn't know whether or not to be excited or angry. But, um, you know, that is what literally launched my songwriting career because from there I had to track down, you know, who actually did this and how did this happen. But they didn't know that the the independent label who I was working with didn't know that I owned the copyright Mm. to the song. So that opened up um, a whole nother world for me. um, And and literally it, it, it brought me up to where I am today now where You know, I know firsthand experience of what it's like to have something that was yours um, and then someone takes it as if it's theirs and tries to sell it off for profit for their own gain. And so that has been my platform um, since 2002. It's 2019 now, so I guess I'm telling my age, but (laughs) I've been (laughs) doing this for a while and um, it's my passion now to be able to educate and also, um, you know, just, you know, bring awareness uh, to creators who really don't think from a business standpoint, but they're just always focused on the creative side and not protecting themselves when that is just how we need to learn how to operate now. Right. That's just what it is. Definitely. Um, so backing up a little bit, because um, it sounds like you were doing music at a really early age. How soon did you know that's what you wanted to pursue as a career path? Well, I I have music in my family. Um, My mom was a singer. Um, Her and my dad sang together. They were like high school sweethearts. My dad is an excellent bass player. Um, And, uh, you know, it's just it's just kind of like something that I just knew I wanted to do. I was the kid that was sitting in front of our 
televisions, watching video soul and looking at Whitney Houston like, oh, my God, I love her. I want to be like her one day, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I had no idea that, you know, my main focus was just being an artist. So I had been singing in talent shows from, like, elementary on up to high school. And then once I got in high school, I became a member of a girl group called BKS, which was um, – we had a deal on the table with BET. Um, it didn't quite come to fruition, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with Brooke Valentine, but she was actually one of the young women who was a part of the group, and, you know, oh, we, wow. we had a great friendship there. Um, and that was around, like, the time I was, like, 15, 16, and mm-hmm. then things didn't work out with our group. We all parted ways, and I started my solo career as a, as a solo artist. And, and so that's how I got linked with the, the indie label. Okay, cool. And so, and I was just going to ask how the indie label deal came about. Um, So you were in the girl group, things kind of went left or you guys went your separate ways and this label reached out to you because knowing that situation? Well, I was affiliated with a lot of other rappers and producers and songwriters just kind of being in the circuit in Houston, Texas is, you know, Mm -hmm. that's my hometown. And, um, you know, it's a small industry. So, you know, you hang around people who are getting signed and, you know, you do great work, you know, at the time, which I, you know, thought I did. Um, and people would just start inquiring. And at the time, this indie label was new. They were from Chicago. They were looking to start signing some acts in Houston. And they had already signed um, one of my label mates at the time. And, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do because we were already kind of affiliated and working with each other. I had been singing on his songs, and he had been, like, a feature on a few of my songs. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like that chemistry was there. So, since that's who he signed with, and I kind of got familiar with them and saw how they were, you know, taking care of him and making sure they were prepping for his release. I was like, well, great, it would be good to be a part of something like this in Houston, you know, because, I mean, we're really known for, you know, at that time, Rap-A-Lot was like the only thing that had really been bubbling out, and I think Destiny's Child was brand new, and they were already signed to a major, so there wasn't really anything else bubbling um, in the city outside of, you know, what I was seeing around locally. So, yeah, that's what compelled me to join and, and become a part of the label. Got you. And how would you describe your time there? Um, it was good at first. Um, I do think that, you know, I was very young and there was just a lot of things that I didn't know um, compared to what I know now. And so while I was really focused on being creative And, um, you know, they provided the facility for all of that. You know, I had a great producer at the time that I was building with. You know, I didn't really think about the long term. Um, I just think we're our mind just doesn't think that far at that young age. You know, I'm 17, 18 years old. You're not thinking about long term. You just know that you are doing something that you love and you're a part of a label that's supposed to be helping. Um, But, yeah, I thought in the beginning things were great. And then, you know, I just started looking at their business practices and, and, and certain things that they were doing. Their business model to me just didn't look stable, and it, it didn't seem like something that I wanted to be a part of anymore. And so, you know, I just started making my exit and kind of addressing some of the concerns that I had. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, what do you know? You're only 17, 18 years old. How are you going to question us on something? And it's like, okay, well, cool. I'll just leave. You know, so, I, you know, I, I, I found some loopholes that were in my contract and, you know, and, you know, I made the exit. Now, how difficult was it to get out of that agreement? Um, It wasn't. 
primarily because there was a breach, and I had already found that the breach was inside of the contract, which you know, which is what initially started um, me having a few concerns about how things were done anyway. So I just, at that point, like once you call somebody out on what they need to be fulfilling and they see that they have not followed through on that end, I mean, like, what are you going to do? Like, just let me out of my contract so we don't have any problems, you know? Right. So it was easier for me to make a transition out once I realized that, you know, there were some things on their end that had been promised and were not delivered. Got you. So, I mean, it sounds like you've always had a a, a pretty good business head about you. Um, what was it that sparked your interest in that side of things or to for you to even audit them in that way? <laughs> well, I had a, I definitely had a supportive team behind me. Um, I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my my uh, grandfather, rest his soul, he um, had his own insurance agency um, in South Park, Houston, Texas, um, which was primarily, you know, uh, uh, African-American community. Um, and he was responsible for like, you know, helping Muhammad Ali, you know, establish his insurance at the time. And he was just really known with a lot of politicians and, you know, public figures during during the 70s um, and the 60s, well, the 70s and the 80s. So, um, you know, that along with my grandmother being, um, she had a, her own cake business. And then my other grandmother, she had a real estate agency. And so I'm, I just came from a place of just people just always being on top of their business and, you know, interested in, you know, making money, obviously, for the services and products that they provide. So um, I think it was just kind of a part of me. Um, and then my dad, he is an apostle now, but he also um, got into music management because he was in a group at one time, but got on the management side. And then he evolved into a publisher, um, but he did more gospel um, entertainment acts. And so, you know, it was great because at, at the time I was new to publishing um, and I got my publishing deal right after I left the label, but I was still able to have a conversation with him about certain things that I needed to be mindful of. So it just kind of was, you know, it's just something that was just a part of, you know, I guess my DNA, you know, it's just a part of my family to just be on top of your business. And then my mother too. My mother is, she is my watchdog, right? She's going to make mm -hmm. sure that you know, certain things are done and paperwork is right. And, you know, she has an extensive corporate uh, background. And so I think that also helped me and compelled me to be able to, you know, look at paperwork from a different way and not be afraid of the black and white, you know, because I think there's so many, so many creators, they just want to create. And when you start talking contracts, it, it, it makes them afraid. Right. But, you know, I was just kind of raised with that mentality from, you know, being at the insurance office and watching my papa close, you know, insurance deals and, and, and open up policies for people, that's paperwork, you know, doing real estate, that's paperwork, you know, right. um, invoicing and all that kind of stuff for, you know, someone buying a cake and, and all that kind of stuff with my other grandmother. So it's just it's just a part of my DNA. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Uh, that's good. I mean, a lot of artists don't have that background. And like you said, you talk, start talking about contracts and clauses and all of that, and people's eyes glaze over. And it's just like, let's get back to the music. Right, wow. right, right. So um, how long after, you know, you left the label was it when you found out about the song being sold to Whitney Houston? Um, probably about a year. So yeah, probably by the time I was, I know I was 18 by that time. 
So, yeah, probably about a year, maybe right before I turned 18 or either I was 18 going on 19. It was around that that, that, that time, between gotcha. 17 and 19, yeah. And so was your publishing deal already in place or did that come after? That came after. Once I um, once I got everything cleared with Arista, improved my copyright ownership and so forth, that made it easier for me to walk away um, and then I started just working the circuit in the city with different producers and songwriters, and I ended up running across um, through a person who was managing me at the time. He introduced me to a producer who was signed with a publishing company, and I had no idea what a publishing company was, you know, the benefits of them, you know, and, and you know, I just didn't know. I didn't, I didn't pretty much know that much of of anything besides writing a song and copyright, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, once I got introduced to him, he was like, well, like you're one of the dopest songwriters in the city that I know. And I really need a songwriter to help me crank out the records because I, I can make tracks all day. I can produce and, and arrange tracks all day, but I'm having to send songs out to different cities where other songwriters are when you're right here. So I know you're in school right now, but it may be a good idea if I pitch you to get a publishing deal since you already have Whitney Houston under your belt. That's something for you to walk in there with, um, and, you know, with leverage. Um, and it shows that, you know, you have what it takes to have, you know, major placement opportunities there. So it literally just from that relationship, we worked for about six to eight months just cranking out records so we can kind of pick up on chemistry and vibe. And then next thing you know, um, I got offered a publishing deal from the same publisher that he was signed to, which was EMI Music Publishing at the time. And, yeah, um, went through the process, um, made sure I had an attorney. Um, and then, you know, we started working on establishing what the deal was going to look like. Okay. So um, I'm going to pause right there. Um, for someone who may be a songwriter or a music producer, can you explain the advantages of a publishing deal versus something like a, a record deal? Yeah, so with the publishing deal, I mean, their main goal is to make sure that your songs um, that are being placed are actually being collected upon, right? Um, mm-hmm. These publishing companies, such as the EMI, which is now Sony ATV, or, you know, Universal Publishing, or, um, you know, even the smaller publishing companies like a Chrysalis or... Um, Cobalt, which are more like Cobalt is more on the admin pub side. But the, the publishing company's main function is to make sure that they house your, your songs in one particular space, which is, you know, obviously their catalog. And they are making sure that it's covered and protected, it's copywritten, as well as um, if any licenses are um, inquired about the song, it's negotiated fairly so that they look out for your interest as well. Um, and Overall, to shop it and make sure that you continue to make money off of this one particular um, property of yours, you know. And so having a publishing company, um, you know, at the time back then was a big deal because they were the connection to, you know, the movies that were being placed and scored. They were the connection to the commercials that were being, um, you know, placed on television, you know, the, the, those those uh Music supervisors came to publishing companies to score their movies and to score their commercials. And so being affiliated with them just gives you so much more opportunity. In addition to that, it's a major situation. So you're actually, you know, uh, a part of an elite group of songwriters and producers who are well-versed in what you do. And I have just had some of the best friendships and relationships built and established through that publisher, you know. Um, Mm. Then not only that, but, you know, 
Big John Platt, who was um, the one who signed me at the time, he really created and cultivated um, programs and events that would help strengthen and unite us as songwriters and producers. So while they meet, there may be producers and songwriters who are in L.A. who are signed to EMI, there are also songwriters and producers in New York. There are also songwriters and producers in Texas, in Florida, um, Atlanta, and we don't know each other. And he would do these huge events for us every year where the record labels will fly to us in L.A. because he'll fly us all into L.A. or fly us all into New York. And the record labels would then come to us and present to us and say, we need you guys to help us with our artists' projects. You know, this is, you know, Universal will come and do their pitch and RCA will come and do their pitch and Geffen will come and do their pitch and Island Def Jam will come and do their pitch and, you know, we would listen to their current artists. We would learn about the roster, who they recently signed, what's the new material that they're working on and what direction are they trying to go and what they're looking for us to provide. And so I just would have never gotten exposure to those opportunities had it not been, you know, had it not been for me being signed to to a major publisher of that caliber. Um, and so I think it's a huge, huge opportunity that I was blessed with. And now, um, more so than ever, with the climate, with the way the climate has changed and how independent artists now are having these same types of opportunities because, you know, now you can have your own publishing company and be able to license your own music if you know properly those steps to take. I think it's just a great opportunity now that I was just blessed to be a part of, you know, back then on a, on a major scale. So, um, lots of benefits there. And then another thing too is that having a publishing company, you know, you're walking with a lot of power because this is an industry-respected publishing company who is recognized or has writers who have been recognized and awarded from the Recording Academy with Grammys or even from, you know, um, you know, some awarded with Oscars because maybe they wrote on films that, you know, they – that, you know, ended up winning an award, you know, an Academy Award or, you know, ASCAP and BMI who collects our performance royalties actually we're a, either we're either a part of either either organization. So like I'm a part of ASCAP as a writer, but I'm also a part of BMI as a publisher. And so you're just a part of that elite group who is connected with other industry uh partnerships and they protect you. You know, um if there are any discrepancies and disputes with my songs and somebody is claiming ownership or somebody put up a song or released a song illegally, it's not just me making a phone call trying to find my attorney. Like I call my publisher and my publisher has it shut down instantly, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's just the type of power that you have because you're dealing with, you know, a, a, a company of that type of magnitude that is respected. Right. Yeah. And so for someone who doesn't know, how does a typical publishing deal work? Well, you have several. You have several different types of deals. Um, and I can go on and on talking about all different types of deals, but, you know, that's that's a whole point of, like, you know, joining and becoming, you know, a part of, like, a workshop or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you can learn more about that if you are, you know, really serious about it and want to learn more, you know, by signing up and, and attending a workshop. But um, Or you can just Google it and research it. But the, the, the publishing deal that I got was a co-publishing deal, and that basically means that, as a songwriter, I have my own publishing house, but they are co-publishing my publishing house with me. So all of my songs that are housed in my publishing company, EMI 
which is now Sony ATV, they work in con- con- uh, conjunction with me to make sure that the songs are protected and they are going out on my behalf, collecting those royalties internationally, my mechanical royalties, my performance right royalties, um, all those royalties are coming in. And in addition to that, um, for me to be able to give them or, you know, go into a co-pub deal with them, I would, they would actually pay me. They pay me in advance to do so. And so as my royalties come in, I just pay them back for, you know, them going into business with me and offering me that advance up front. And so it's kind of like, you know, taking out a loan, right? You take out a loan for more opportunities to be able to expand your catalog, and then you just pay them back on the back end when your royalties start coming in. Got you. Got you. Okay. And so from that I mean, because you you started with the Whitney Houston placement, but you've worked with so many other artists. And so would you say most of those opportunities came as a result of your publishing deal? Or is that just you out there hustling and networking as well? I would say that uh, the Keisha Cole uh, opportunity definitely did. Um, I was in L.A. working with with a group of producers, Soulshock and Carlin, who were also signing EMI at the time. And, um, you know, my publisher did a great job by making sure that when we were in whatever city we were in, they were always connecting us and saying, oh, you're going to be in L.A. for this week? Okay, cool. Well, we'll book out, you know, uh, a session with such and such with you. You know, you haven't met them, but I think you guys are vibe well. Or, you know, here's your schedule for the remaining of the week. We've, you know, set you up with this person and that person. This is your hotel. This is where you'll be staying at. Um, Or I notify them and say, hey, you know, I'll be out there for like a month. I'm just kind of setting up shop, working with a few independent artists, but I would definitely love if you could connect me with a few people. And that's how, you know, it would usually work. They would, you know, help out. And then from there, like, I had no idea that me working for a week and a half with Soulshock and Carlin would turn into a placement um, on Keisha Cole. But we went into the mindset of let's just work, let's just vibe out, let's just, um, you know, see where the the chemistry there is and where it lies and try to, you know, complete as many songs as possible. And then we knew what artists were actually looking for records. At the time, the record that I wrote, Falling Out, um, for Keisha Cole, it was actually written for Brandy. And so we went in with that mindset, even though I kind of always just like to create. And if I'm not with the artist, I'll never like to say, oh, I'm doing a song for Brandy. But I did write the song, and I was like, you know what? this will be good for Brandy. It would be a good comeback record for her. She needs a good ballad. So we just kind of write, create, and then kind of figure out who it sounds like and where it could possibly go. So we started, we found a demo singer who sounded just like Brandy. Um, we got it recut after I sung the first initial version. And then we started shopping it to her people, and it just was a bad time for her. She wasn't able to really get back in the studio. I think she was dealing with some other personal issues. But from there, we still shopped the record around. I sent it to my publisher. Big John started shopping it and getting around to different people. And then next thing you know, it was a phone call. Hey, you know, Keisha Cole, um, she is cutting your record, and we need to go ahead and work out, you know, what that's going to look like. So yeah. and from there, you know, that placement happened, and that did come from that opportunity. But more so than that, the relationships that you build by being with a major publisher um, – it's your responsibility to nurture those relationships. So even though your publisher may not, my publisher may not have gotten me every single placement, but I either, I either met the people that I worked with through my publisher or maybe the A&R that was coming to the event um, that we did for, you know, the songwriters and the record labels. I ended up building a relationship with him from that particular event, you know. So right. it's just being a part of that network 
And then also still hustling on your own, too, because not all of my placements came from that. So, you know, it's just all about using your resources and opportunities that you have and, 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 and hoping that they evolve, you know, to something bigger, but just still focusing on make, making great records and just letting, I always say, if you, if, you, if you focus on making great records, they will eventually always find a home. Right. Definitely. Now, um, I do want to move on to some of the other things that you're doing right now. Um, but before we wrap up this segment, I do want to ask, because um, like I said, I mean, we've talked about how you just had uh, a sort of business mind just from being around that and being exposed to that in your family. But what are some tips that you may have for aspiring songwriters, or I should say up and coming songwriters um, to protect themselves and their creations as they're moving forward and trying to navigate uh, to bigger and better opportunities? I would say the main thing is just understanding that as a creator, you have to know within yourself before you even start focusing on business you have to have the mindset first to know that i am a creator and based on the reactions that i'm getting from people i'm good at what i do so if i'm good or if i'm i have potential to be great at what i do then i also need to have a mindset that i'm worth being paid for my work you have that mindset first, that's going to take you far because you're going to come into every session, every meeting, every opportunity that allows you to display your work with the, the, the mindset that this is, a, this, is a, this is a service that I'm providing or this is a product that I'm giving over and I am owed something in exchange. It's just right. business. It's nothing personal. It's business. So while that particular song topic may have been personal to you, once that song becomes a complete body of work with the track and the arrangements and the vocals and lyrics and so forth, that is now a product. Mm -hmm. That is a product. And you are the owner of that product. That is your property. And it's no different from real estate. You know, I look at my publishing house as a house. My publishing company is Latrell Music. My uh, publishing company for songwriters and producers that are signed to me is called The Mezzo. Each of those, Latrell Music and the Mezzo, are publishing houses, and I house all of my songs in each of those houses. Um, if I have songwriters and producers that are signed to the Mezzo, they are assigned a room, and inside of their room are their songs, and their songs is a part of my house. So mm -hmm. it, it, it is the same exact way in each of those rooms. And each of those songs have a value. And so whenever I want to go out and pitch those songs, there is a value that is put on that particular song, which in turn brings me profit or brings my songwriters and producers profit. And so having that mindset, I, help, I, I think, would help a lot of songwriters and producers to understand that after you create that, you have to now find ways to be able to keep selling that song or keep licensing that song to be able to make profit just like you do when you're flipping a house. Um, in addition to that, I would say the, also get your business in order. Make sure you have an LLC. Make sure that you have a tax ID. Make sure that you sign up with a PRO like BMI or ASCAP. Um, and while I'm, you know, I really am not here to say go with, you know, a specific PRO, just make sure you do your research because the BMI office in your region or your city could be a lot more connected to the community than the ASCAP office. So you just need to go where you feel you're going to get the best um, engagement, support. Um, it's easy to pick up the phone and call somebody or walk up to the office, you know, get a meeting um, and sit down with them and make sure you understand 
that, you know, how their tool works when it comes down to registering your songs and being able to collect off of your performance royalties. So just making sure you have a mindset to be able to understand your worth and value and also getting your business in order from the beginning so that you're not, you know, freaking out when you've gotten a placement and your song's on somebody's album or streaming and you don't have anything together. Gotcha. Nice. Um, and now outside of songwriting, I know you're involved in uh, digital marketing and content creation too as well. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. So I worked for about nine years with um, Radio One, um, which is now Interactive. Well, their the digital subsidiary is now Interactive One. I think they changed their name to Urban One since I've gone. But um, Interactive One was the dig- was the digital subsidiary of Radio One. So Radio One had like 15 different markets with several rec- re- uh, radio stations in each market. And, um, you know, we catered to the urban uh, audience, a few top 40 stations. But um, I was responsible for launching their digital department to help facilitate all of the content and the streaming and making sure that their uh, that particular station was connecting with their audience on digital. Because as we know, um, you know that has been inf- there has been an influx in engagement and how people are actually connecting with brands is through social media and you know websites and blogs and entertainment news and stuff like that. So. Um, I started in Houston in 2009. They didn't have a digital department at all. We uh, literally, you know, just refaced the entire department, made sure we built out a, a, a savvy website that promoted not only uh, streaming the songs that were being played on online, I mean, on, on air. We actually had it streamed to where it was online, but we also developed content around the particular uh, artists that were being played on the radio. So, you know, if we're, we're going to an R&B station, if you're on Magic 102, then obviously we're doing stories about people who meet that urban AC genre. So we're talking about, you know, at the time we may be doing something about Patti LaBelle and Aretha and uh, Luther Vandross, but we also may be covering stuff about um, some of the earlier groups in the 90s, like, you know, your SWVs, and during that time, SWV was making a comeback. So they fit that target. They fit that website content compared to our uh, 97.9 The Box, which is a hip-hop station. You know, we're talking about, you know, Chameleonaire and Soldier Boy and um, at that time, you know, um, Nelly and all of the hip-hop rappers that were popular during that era, you know, of the early 2000s. So we're covering content on them, the DMXs, the 50 Cent the Jay-Z, you know, we're doing that type of entertainment news and reality shows were starting to bubble up so they fit that that target audience, right? So we're covering reality show news there and, of course, local news too for that particular city. And so once we mastered Houston, um, we literally started just creating hubs in every market. So we went to St. Louis, I acquired uh, Dallas. I acquired St. Louis. We went to Charlotte. Once I moved to Atlanta, I took over the Atlanta market. I worked with Ricky Smiley on the syndicated side and helped him build his brand on social media with the New York office. And then we, you know, facilitated a lot of the local content, making sure he had, you know, all of his in-studio stuff filmed and shot. Like right now, if you go to his page, you're going to see in-studio stuff. That stuff initially kicked off in 2013 once I moved to Atlanta. Um, and we were able to really capture behind the scenes what that looks like in the studio on a live basis, um, whereas a lot of content that you would hear back on the website would be afterwards, after his show is, is off air. And mm-hmm. so um, it just became something that just evolved and expanded and, um, you know, like I said, in every market from Charlotte, Richmond, Raleigh, St. Louis, uh, D.C., Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, 
and, and, and all of the other markets now have online editors in each of those markets, and I was responsible for about eight markets. And then, um, you know, I, I switched over into assisting out with, you know, branding and, and, and marketing more so for Radio 1 Atlanta as a whole. You know, like whenever we have big events like Birthday Bash and so forth, I help facilitate that and also running their press and media backstage to make sure that, you know, we're getting all the solid interviews from major artists that were coming and performing. So, yeah, that's pretty much my gamut in a nutshell. <laughs> Got you. And what made you want to get get involved in that aspect of it? Well, I majored in journalism and PR at Texas Southern University. I graduated in uh, 2006, um, magna cum laude, uh, really interested in just writing. I mean, writing is obviously what I was successful at on the songwriting side, but you know, even in high school and elementary, middle school, I had a, you know, just a passion for writing, period, just creative writing. And so I learned how to properly write news stories and so forth in journalism classes and, you know, writing, you know, news articles and, and, um, writing for, you know, the college paper contributing stories that way. And, um, and then we also started doing HTML encoding. That was about 2000, 2000, well, 2001, 2002, 2003. We were learning about HTML coding, um, you know, because there weren't any website templates that were out back then. You had to HTML code your, your, your website. And so that was just the, that was a skill set that I gained from attending TSU. And um, and it was just a part of my curriculum that I had to learn. So after I graduated in 06, I just still had a passion for it. And even though I was songwriting, I had a friend of mine who was a videographer and photographer and very prominent in the city, um, but he wanted to do a blog. He had saw where some of these gossip blogs were like, you know, having success and people were going to these gossip blogs. And he was like, man, we should do something like that for Houston. And so, you know, we started that in Houston. Um, it became very successful because we not only had the entertainment news blogs, but we were able to start selling advertisements on the homepage and we had models. So we had like all these, you know, cute girls who were, you know, modeling on the page and showing off their stats and, you know, their, you know, their body specifications that stuff that the guys like, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that little eye candy, helped to bring a lot of traffic to our site, which then turned into uh, sponsorship opportunities and endorsements and ad opportunities. And it just evolved into what ultimately got me over to Radio 1 because they needed someone who understood that language. Gotcha. Cool, cool. And so uh, fast forward to today. I mean, you're a member of the Women in Music Atlanta chapter. Um, you do songwriter advocacy. Um, through ASCAP and the Recording Academy. Um, what, I guess, what would you say is so important about staying involved and helping to teach the next generation of artists and writers? Oh, man. I mean, if we don't, if we don't uh, pass it down, you know, we don't pay it forward, then, you know, we're dealing with uh, something that could possibly lose value. And, um, you know, we can't allow that to happen in music. I mean, music is a universal language. It affects each and every one of us. Um, and you have so many different creators out there that, you know, are afforded more opportunities than we were back then because, you know, we just didn't have the Internet that could literally give us the answer to any question that we wanted. But, um, you know, I, I just believe in helping. I'm a server. You know, I've always been a servant to my community. Um, I've always been a great help to my peers and to my colleagues as well. Um, and I just believe in empowerment. I think once you are empowered, you move different, you speak different, 
you carry yourself in a certain way to where you have standards. And um, and I've just I, that's how I was raised, and uh, I know that that is what keeps um, this particular industry since you know since I am in the music industry, but any other industry that keeps it cultivating and keeps keeps it growing because each of us have unique gifts and talents um, in certain areas. Uh, but you also have people who are just witty and just have inventions and all that kind of stuff cannot be simulated and triggered until they're put in in, in, uh, in situations that allow for more opportunity and change. And so me being a part of Women in Music Atlanta um, as vice chair um, and making sure that, you know, from a marketing communication standpoint, our uh, social media is, is connecting with our users and, you know, we're throwing events that are impactful and that are, you know, bringing our community together in Atlanta. Um, it also helps with just strengthening that culture in, 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 in creating more opportunities because now this songwriter now knows a producer that they just may not have met. And so um, I think it's very important. I think it's vital to uh, for our community in order to stay flourishing and, like I said, cultivated and strong. And um, it allows for more opportunities for more innovation and more change. Okay. Now, what is the writer's block? So the writer's block um, is it started off as just like a workshop that I would do specifically for writers um, where I would you would come to my workshops in Houston, and that would just be my block, my time with songwriters to teach them about the things that I have learned so they don't make those mistakes. So now the writer's block has actually evolved over, you know, the span of 10 years, uh, yeah, 10 years or so to my YouTube platform where when people go to the, 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 to, to, to watch those workshops online, that is a part of the writer's block where we just kind of sit and talk about all things business for songwriters and producers, mainly creators too, right, because we're not trying to single out musicians um, or people who manage musicians or songwriters or producers. So um, it, it literally is just, you know, a way for me to coin, hey, let's get together on my block and let's just talk about the business of music as a creator. Gotcha. And um, what are some of the topics that you guys have covered so far? Um, so I've talked about um, understanding the different types of publishing deals, understanding what a PRO is, understanding the benefits of joining Sound, sound Exchange. Um, I also have talked several times about, you know, some of the stories like answering questions, FAQ, some of the stories and tribulations that I've gone through uh, from, you know, songwriters just asking me certain questions about copyright and how to set up their own LLC. Um, I even have shared how some of my placements have come about um, and, you know, what that looked like and the story behind it all because some people, you know, are really interested in, man, how did this song come about? Like, what was the process, you know? Hmm. Um, and even talking about the Music Modernization Act, a lot of people didn't understand what that was, didn't know anything about it. I initially started talking about the, you know, copyright and, and, and music publishing reform back in about four years ago mm-hmm. um, when nobody was talking about it. And it was just, it was so dear to me because I started looking at these streaming companies at the time and digital downloads had started increasing, which meant that album sales were dwindling. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at royalty checks like, oh my God, if this is happening to me, then I know this is happening to other songwriters and producers as well. What is the problem? And so doing all my research, you know, it just compelled me to really talk about it and let people know, look, <laughs> pay attention because this is what's happening. And you as a creator, songwriter, producer, you need to be in the know and you need to be involved. You need to become an advocate. 
you know, to, to say and to stand up for your rights. This is not right. We need to be paid, you know, fairly for our rights, you know. And so those are some of the topics. Um, I have plenty more coming that I'm actually filming right now. Um, we'll be uh, launching those in March. So really excited about it. Cool. That's funny. That's actually how I found out about you because um, I made a video about the Music Modernization Act and your video kept coming up in the suggested or related videos to mine. Yay! Thank God for SEO. Right. So that's how I found your channel. And um, I was just really impressed by your story. And um, that's why I reached out to you. Um, So I guess while we're on that subject really briefly, um, now that the law has passed and it will go into effect next year, I believe, or the year after? Uh, About 2022. It'll be like in effect right now. They're trying to establish the actual, um, the the MLC, which is the... um, the Music Licensing Collective, you know, it's a group of people that will be helping to regulate the laws and, and so forth. So they're in the voting stages, the nomination and voting stages right now. Um, and once that is set up, then we'll be looking at the different software and technology that will be used to, you know, control and, and regulate these streaming companies. Okay. Now, if a songwriter wants to get involved in that process or stay abreast to what's going on, how would they? I would strongly suggest, even if they're not a member of the Recording Academy, um, you know, you do have to meet certain qualifications to be a part, but you can always follow the Recording Academy on Twitter and Instagram to stay in the know. I think Twitter is a lot more informative on their page. They have a a, a Twitter page that's called Grammy Advocacy. And um, follow them and stay in the know as well as looking at their website to see, you know, all the happenings that are going on. But also paying attention to all the music journals, the music blogs like Billboard.com, Billboard Biz, um, you know, Digital Music News, uh, music business worldwide. I mean, there's so many different resources out there that I particularly look at on a day-to-day that I'm just obsessed with so I can stay in the know about things that are going on. And then if you are a part of the Recording Academy and just maybe have not renewed your membership, just please stay active, renew your membership. It's only $100 to be a member. Um, and once you, if you meet those qualifications, being have had, you know, a major placement of some sort or um, in in film or in tele, I mean, not in film or television, but if in um, had an album that's actually released and you meet the mm-hmm. qualifications, you can be a voting member and they have advocacy programs um, in each market where uh, Grammy members are to be able to talk to local legislation and attend district advocacy day and, you know, just staying involved. So it just really takes you to want to know about it and do the research and stay in, in, in tune with, you know, what's going on. And of course, follow my page at Tammy Latrell on IG and you can always get, you know, the latest updates. Cause you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a part of the advocacy program and, and I strongly, um, you know, promote it and talk about updates as much as I can. Okay. And now you offer uh, consulting services to artists as well, right? Absolutely. Artists, songwriters, producers, people who manage artists and producers and songwriters, people who are trying to start their own publishing company and they just really don't understand where, why, how to get started. Um, you can go to my website at TamiLatrilla.com and click on the shop page or go to the contact page and it'll show how to reach me on the right side. You can literally click it and it'll take you to my consultation and you can purchase a consultation there. Okay, cool. Uh, so I do want to go into a little bit of a lightning round before we wrap up. Okay. All right. Uh, what is your favorite song? Ooh, my favorite song. Wow. Ooh, I got a lot of them. But let me just think about something that I listened to most most recently. Um, 
I'll do gospel and R&B. From a gospel standpoint, my favorite song right now is Alpha and Omega. Um, it's like one of my worship songs that I use to start my day off when I wake up every single morning and kind of, you know, get, you know, after I finish my meditation, I go into worship before I get my day started. So Alpha and Omega, that is by uh, Israel and New Breed. Um, from an R&B standpoint, I would say my favorite song, what was the most recent? I would say there is this song by Joe called Mm -hmm. If Loving You Is Wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's from his very first album. So I'm not talking about any of the latest and most popular songs that he came out with like in the early 2000s. But he dropped this song in the 90s. I want to say it was like 90. Oof, 93, 94, 95, mm. I'm telling my age. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a song called Loving You Is Wrong. And I just love, I love the lyrics. I love the mix. I love the music, the arrangements. I love his ad-libs, his harmonies. It was just a well-crafted song. And he sung it with so much passion mm-hmm. that you just don't hear that kind of vocal range and ability these days. Um, yeah. And then... Anything by Whitney Houston is my favorite. I mean, come on. She is the voice. So, right. yeah, anything by Whitney Houston. But, you know, when I think about lyrical content, you know, Joe, Babyface, all day, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just all, all ears. Nice. Uh, who's your biggest inspiration? Hmm. You know, I could honestly say my biggest inspiration – from a business standpoint, is probably my publisher, Big John Platt. And I'm happy to know that he'll be headed back to Sony ATV now. He's mm-hmm. leaving Warner Chapel and coming back to 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 Sony ATV, uh, I think, either this year or starting the top of 2020. But, um, you know, Big John has been completely instrumental in the success of my career. One thing that I did appreciate um, compared to a lot of my other songwriter friends who were signed with different publishers, um, I just appreciated his attentiveness in making sure that even if you didn't have the number one song on the billboard at the time, he still took the time to reach out and call and communicate about what his needs were and that he, you know, received your email or received your songs and this is the feedback that he has in order for you to make this a better song. I mean, that's just... I don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of, he has some kind of patience, diligence, determination, compassion. He just encompasses so much in one person that I know God has given him a unique gift to be able to impact the lives of everyone that he comes across. And I mean, he's been extremely influential on the, on the, 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 the bigger side with major um, artists like your Jay-Z's and Beyonce's. I think he just won the Center of Pope Award um, mm-hmm. last year and Beyonce um, sang and Jay-Z actually presented him the award, I think for real hosted it too. So, but you know, Someone who makes that type of impact, if you just do some research on his story and how he was able to start off as a DJ in, I think, Detroit, and he just started having a knack for knowing what a hit is because, obviously, DJs are breaking the record, so they can identify what's a hit, but then also having compassion for the people who are the creators behind that hit and encouraging us and creating opportunities and platforms for us to be able to grow. I just think that 
I mean, you can't go wrong with someone like that in your corner. And so he's been the greatest example. You don't ever hear anything crazy about him in the news. And, you know, he just stays away from all the drama and focuses heads down on building the lives of creators. And I think that um, that is definitely a legacy that I want to be able to emulate, if not better, as he would probably want us to, you know, anybody who comes after him to do better. Um, and, and so, yeah, he probably is my biggest inspiration now as I've also – you know, evolved into becoming a publishing executive to where I'm not just songwriting, but I'm also informing, inspiring, building, and cultivating other songwriters and producers and being able to protect them and collect on their behalf as well. So I would definitely say Big John. Okay. Um, What do you wish more artists understood about the music industry? That it is a business first. (laughs) (laughs) Period. Period. The the creative side of you actually being an artist, that's only like 20% of what this is about. It is a business first. So I don't care how much you love this song. If the audience is not triggered to go stream it and download it, purchase it at the time when, you know, people were actually purchasing albums, nobody cares. Period. It's a business. And if you're trying to get in this marketplace, You have to identify, you have to make that connection that I am an artist, this is what I feel, but I also have to make sure that my music connects. The topics have to be, you know, relatable. It needs to touch somebody and impact them in a way. It can't just mean senseless anything. It can't just be songs that mean nothing. And quite naturally, you know, people are probably listening to my podcast like, well, there's so many songs out here that's just crappy and, you know, don't even have substance and they're successful and they're talking about all kind of crazy things in the world. Don't be like them. Because they're trendy artists. Be classic artists. Have substance in your content when you're writing songs. Make sure that it's impactful. You know, make sure that people can remember that melody after they turn the song off. Make sure that that melody can be hummed in their sleep to where they wake up and want to listen to it again. You know, and and that's what I would say is just focus on the idea of the impact that you can make on someone else's life that would force them to pull that song back out and fall in love with it all over again, whether they're streaming it, which is bringing you royalties, may not be much right now, but, you know, that's a topic that, you know, we can discuss on a different interview. Um, but it still is compelling them to pull out your body of work and use it commercially, right? Because it's in right. that marketplace of iTunes or Apple Music and Spotify and, you know, um, you know, title and all these different uh, streaming digital service providers that are out there. It's a business, period. Right. Now, on the flip side of that, what do you wish the greater music industry understood more about the artists? Um, I would say more about the songwriters and producers. I, you know, that that's the area that I kind of sit in, um, okay. the creators behind it. I, I, I would hope that the industry understands that I would hope that the industry understands that we are the bloodline of the industry, Mm. period. If you don't have a great song, nobody can make money. Right. If you don't understand the value in a songwriter and a producer, nobody is going to have anything to market. Nobody's going to have anything to promote. Nobody's going to have anything to place in a movie or film. Nobody's going to have anything to place in a reality show. Nobody's going to have anything to place as an opening song on the NBA finals or the NFL finals, like at the Super Bowl. Like, if you don't have a songwriter and producer producing this, you have nothing to use to make yourself or your show sound better or look good. And so 
it just is what it is. It's the songs and the music that um, brings out the emotion in the scene of a movie. You know, um, that 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 matters how it's scored and what is used. And so I just think that the songwriters and producers are heavily overlooked. And um, at one point, at one point in the industry, it wasn't like that. But I think technology has kind of dumbed and watered a lot of stuff down. Um, but at the same time, I'm all for technology if it's to help empower songwriters and producers. And, and that's uh, another thing that I know we're closing right now, but that's another thing that I want to talk about, too, briefly. Um, we have – if these industry uh, executives and people of power would understand the, val- the value of empowering your songwriters and producers – and allowing us to be able to make a living again off of what we used to do so effortlessly um, with just, you know, rolling over in our sleep and knowing that <laughs> we can record our idea and then take it and produce it, get it out, send it to the publisher, it gets placed, and we're actually making great money off of it to sustain and help our families, then you have people who are more empowered to create more music, that the same type of music. Because right. we know that with quality, quality is going to stand the test of time. So you're going to have more quality content, quality music that is out there compared to us just cookie cutter, got to get something done within three to four hours because I ain't really got money like that. You know, mm-hmm. these are the situations that songwriters and producers and artists even are are um, dealing with. They're dealing with budgets right now because they're not making money. So they're having to penny pinch their songs, which turns out that the quality is not as good. They may not hire the best person to mix and master. So now it's sounding crappy. Or maybe they didn't take the time to go through all their harmonies and make sure that their words and stuff are pronounced right because they don't have time. They're cranking out all of this crap. It's it's hitting, but it's not sticking. So it may hit for a couple of months, but it's not sticking for a whole year. Mm. And so what do you what are some things that you think um that you know music publishers and labels can do to empower their artists and their songwriters? Well, they should definitely stand on our behalf and and become advocates just like we are to make sure that these streaming companies are paying us what we're owed. And I think Big John Platt did a great job. Him, Jody Gerson and a few others who are publishers who stood behind us, even with the, the, the leaders over at ASCAP and BMI. You know, ASCAP started the Songwriter Equity Act before the Music Modernization Act even came about. And so they got on the front line and was like, hey, this is not right. You guys need to pay our songwriters and producers what they're owed. You know, these are outdated laws that need to be um, corrected. And so just standing with us and supporting us, as well as going to our local officials who are in office making laws, you know, uh, uh, helping these laws pass, and, and really also taking it to social media and talking about it more in the news to, to help even the general audience to understand your fans are what support you. But now, instead of you uh, being able to chill and focus on creativity for a couple of years before you release another project, you're having to stay on the road and tour your current albums to keep your family afloat. You see what I'm saying? So the artists yeah. who are also songwriters and producers are now forced to go out and stay on the road because they can't afford to sit at home and work on a masterpiece. You know, right. now you have some people who have mastered it, like your Beyonce's, like your Jay-Z's, who can take, you know, they can work on their album while they're on the road, or they can take a couple of months off and come out with a masterpiece. But there are not a lot of artists who have evolved to that level, and so they can't afford to take that type of time off. But if we were getting paid what we were worth and what is owed to us, then we would have a lot more time to be able to focus on quality. And so I think that 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 is a great thing. And then in addition to that, um, I became partner and chief marketing officer of um, 
a um, new platform called The Labs. The Labs is a tech startup, and we've we had a phenomenal year last year, but basically it's a tech startup platform that allows for songwriters and producers to be able to do what Gmail, Dropbox, um, Drive, uh, chat, you know, chat on your mobile phone. It allows for you to do all of that in one platform in addition to automating your splits when you're creating. And so we are developing the tech technology. Like I'm actually right now like about to go into another meeting um, because we're working on our launch and our beta launch in March. And so um, we have been working diligently, and I have literally had my hands inside of this platform working with development here in the States and overseas to make sure that the functionality of the process from the time a songwriter joins the website how to actually, you know, um, invite another songwriter that they're in the studio session with or if it's somebody that's in another city and that producer who actually has the track can import their track there and they can create in one space. So it's a collaborative space that allows them to all collaborate in one window and as you continue to submit your contributions to that song, whether it's lyrics, whether it is melody, whether it is the actual track itself, the music, if you're bringing in a guitarist to the, you know, play some riffs on it, everyone is being automated their splits of ownership for their contributions to the song. And so what that does is it eliminates the whole process of what's been happening with all these unclaimed royalties that have just been sitting in a black box because people don't know how to attribute their, their um, they don't know how to appropriate the splits in ownership. And then some people are just not business-minded and savvy enough to know to fill out a split sheet and make sure that it's filed with the PRO. So mm. our relationships and our pipeline has been, um, you know, we've been engaged and connected to PROs um, as well as uh, production companies for movie and TV and for film um, and other publishing companies as well to help them understand that this system will allow you to be able to have your songwriters and producers in this system documenting automatically so that they don't have to go back and do it after they finish the song. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a, it's a very, very, very uh, robust and innovative tool that I'm so excited about. Um, I, I've spoken about it uh, a few times on my website, but we'll start releasing out some some screens soon to really show people how it actually works. We'll be doing some tutorials on the platform and just really, really helping um, members and, you know, creators understand. And even from an enterprise standpoint, even for businesses who have, you know, their own production companies and they have producers and songwriters that work on their behalf to get those songs cleared, we work with different licensing, company, licensing companies to be able to get, hand them over the, the metadata so that they can track you know, all of the activity that was, you know, uh, comprised on that one particular project. And mm -hmm. so um, I'm just excited about it. And I think that those are the type of initiatives that publishing companies, record labels um, should get behind. They should have their creators, their songwriters, their producers inside of these programs because it eliminates all of the work that they have to do after the fact when they're trying to put the album out and they got to go track down who the producer was, who the songwriter was. That is right. the main issue why people are not getting paid because there's not a software that's going to collect all that data you know, up front when they're working. This is going to be the industry standard, period, point blank. And and so we're working hard diligently to make sure that, um, that you know, we're, we're getting set up to make a, a big impact this year and, and next year. Nice. Well, I certainly appreciate, um, as someone who works with songwriters and producers, I appreciate you guys 
making that effort to, you know, fill this void that's in the industry. Because you're right. When people aren't getting paid, it's because someone didn't register something correctly. You know, typically studio sessions happen late night. No one's tracking down, okay, wait, which beat was this? Who was it that did this and that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's even good for for studios, too, you know. So it's just so many ways that our platform benefits people in the business of music to help them stay organized and to make sure that songs are appropriated to whoever um, owns them. It covers their behind, so they're not caught up in any lawsuit that could particularly put them or jeopardize, you know, their companies. Um, mm-hmm. But it also protects the songwriters, which in turn empowers them, which makes them build trust and they want to come back to the system because they know it's a proven method that works. And so when it's time to distribute your album, you already know who the splits are appropriated to, and there's no question on how to get in touch with them because all their information is in the profile. And when it's time for royalty collection, it's not hard to track down people because all their information is there. I mean, it's just it, it's, it's just an automatic system that uh, is extremely beneficial to the music industry as a whole, and, and I'm very excited about it. So, um, you know, we're working on this first, and then we're going to have some other opportunities that will create a marketplace for people to be able to, you know, turn profit on the on the program as well, on the platform as well. So, you know, it, it's 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 here, but you know, we're 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 trying to really, really uh make an impact in a way that is gonna change the industry forever. And so I'm I'm very grateful to be a part of the opportunity and I'm very grateful to have a team who is so dedicated just as much as I am. And they're they're not creators, but well one of them is. He's actually a producer. But the rest of the team, you know, they're just technical people who really get it and they understand that there is a problem and we need to solve it. You know, and so I'm just I'm just grateful to be a part of the team and, you know, we're gonna be really doing some big things this year. Nice. Um, and so, um, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be in the industry? Oh, wow. Um, definitely that I was, um, instrumental and influential with making an impact and, and, and being a part of change. You know, it's kind of like back in the day when you were hearing about the civil rights movement, you know, where, you know, African-Americans, as well as, you know, other Americans who weren't just black were, you know, uh, you know, fighting for our rights, our civil rights, you know, to, to just have basic rights to be able to sit in a restaurant <laughs> or sit on a bus um, and not have to be told where or or, you know, uh, where or how we must do it. But so that we're treated, we're all created and treated equally. And I think on my end, I'm doing the same exact thing, but I'm doing it for writers and producers to where, you know, we're being paid fairly and we're being treated equally that, you know what, we have a lot to do with why you guys are making money. So you need to respect that. And, and and pay us what we're what we're owed, you know, and 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 also empowering the mindset of creators who are now not just focused on being creative oriented, but also business oriented, and being excited about learning the business. And even if they're not excited, they can empower other people on their team to learn about business, so that their career can be managed in a, a more effective and profitable way. So yeah, I would just say that. You know, I'm on the front line trying to fight for our rights as creators. I want my legacy to be just that um, and to also, you know, I hate to say knowledge is power because it's so cliche, but it, it definitely is something that it has stuck with us and will continue to be, you know, one of the most thoughtful uh, quotes um, that we could ever, um, you know, use as a, as a, as a pillar of 
you know, how to be successful in, in anything, you know, in business. Overall, you need to have knowledge in order to be able to have power to, to close a deal or to, to uh, you know, be well aware of what it, what it is that you're getting yourself involved in. And so um, I would hope that my legacy, you know, would be, you know, up there in the ranks of, you know, being at the forefront, being a pioneer of change and, you know, um, and fighting for our rights as creators and making sure that, you know, innovation and technology is also a part of helping to protect us and making sure we're getting paid what we're owed. Got you. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with our audience and share your story and your passion for the next generation of artists and songwriters. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I would just like to, in closing, say thank you again for um, for the opportunity to be able to inspire and inform uh, for anybody who is listening. If you want to get more information about my website, my workshops, or, you know, any upcoming um, events that I'm a part of, log on to TammyLatrell.com, T-A-M-I-L-A-T-R-E-L-L, and you can follow me also on social media is Tammy Latrell, T-A-M-I-L-A-T-R-E-L-L. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That way, once we launch our new courses and uh, content that will be coming down in March, you'll be the first to get it in your inbox. Perfect. Well, I will link to all of those resources in the uh, description of or the show notes of this podcast. And um, again, thanks again for your time, Tammy. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. You, you too. too. Thanks again to Tammy for coming on to the show and sharing her story and her experience. And thanks to you for listening all the way through to the end. Now, if you like the show, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to stay connected with us, we are all over the web at KDMR Music. So make sure you follow us, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and I'll see you on another episode next week. Peace.